Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you and we love you. Father, I thank you that you have given us opportunity to gather today as Mishpacha, to gather and worship before you. And Father, I thank you that you give us opportunity to dig into your word as community. Lord, I pray that as we open up the word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your voice heard, your word received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, we ask that you will begin even now to work a, uh, a work of, of uh, transformation in our hearts and our lives, that when we leave here, we leave here prepared to impact the world around us for your kingdom and your holy name. B'shem Yeshua Meshechinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. So this week we read a double parsha, as we said earlier. Uh, parsha Netzavim and Vayelech, which is Deuteronomy 29.9 through 31.30. Two of the final parshot read in the synagogue. We have one more parsha that will be read. That will not be next week because next Saturday is Rosh Hashanah. But the week following will be the last parsha in the Torah cycle that is read in synagogue on Shabbat. The final parsha, uh, uh, parsha, um, I just said it earlier, I lost it. Bezot HaBracha, there we go. No, Bezot whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> my mind just went completely blank on that, but we'll read that uh, during some Chatzorah as we prepare to roll the scroll back to the beginning. Parsha Nitzavim, which is the beginning Parsha this week, uh, solidifies the blessings and the curses and hones in on the renewal of the covenant made with Israel. It begins with uh, perhaps some of the most powerful words of all of the Torah, as the Lord clearly defines with whom this covenant of Torah is being solidified. Deuteronomy 29, 9 through 14 says, You are standing today, all of you, before Adonai your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your officials, all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, and the outsider within your camp. From your woodchopper to your water carrier, each of you is to cross over into the covenant of Adonai your God that he is cutting with you today and into his oath. This is in order to confirm you today as his people. So he will be your God just as he promised you, and just as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Not with you alone am I cutting this covenant and this oath, but with whomever is standing here with us today, before Adonai, our God, and with whomever is not here with us today. In other words, God is saying that the covenant is being made with all of Israel. This includes the heads of the tribes, the judges, the men, the women, the children, uh, the foreigners that have attached themselves to Israel, those that have uh, aligned themselves with the people of Israel. And he says, I'm making this not just with you who stand here today, but also with all of those that will come after you, with every generation from here on. And so it's a really powerful image that's here. Deuteronomy 30 uh, continues with the prophetic reality that at some point Israel will experience both the blessings and the curses. And after the curses will ultimately return to the Lord. It also contains the divine promise to circumcise our hearts, the reminder uh, that the mitzvot of Torah are not too difficult, nor are they something one must go in some sort of extravagant quest to find. And finally, Deuteronomy 30 wraps out with the Lord declaring, He has placed before Israel blessing and curse, life and death, the blessing and life should we choose to listen and obey, the death and curse should we choose to depart from his ways and the divine encouragement to choose life. 
Lastly, Parsha Vayelech, which is our second Parsha this week, uh, deals with the uh, transferal of the headship of Israel, the leadership of Israel from Moses to Joshua, the divine command given to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31.6, and later is repeated in Joshua uh, chapter 1 to both Joshua and to the nation of Israel. Chazak, be courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble before them, for Adonai your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. This week we also have the final Haftarah of the seven messages of consolation from Isaiah, uh, which are read between Tisha B'Av, uh, and which is the day that both the first and second temple were destroyed, and Rosh Hashanah. Uh, Isaiah 61, 9 through 63, 10 is the actual Haftarah reading for this week. We have spent the past few weeks leading up to today focusing primarily on the Haftorah Parshot through the messages of consolation. And today we will be dealing with this final passage from Isaiah before the Yamim Noraim or the Days of Awe. Much like our Torah Parsha is a call to response to live in covenant relationship with Adonai, so too is our Haftorah a call to response, a call for Israel to respond to the transformation found in Messiah. If you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 62, beginning with verse 1. Isaiah chapter 62, beginning with verse 1. It says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until her righteousness shines out brightly, and her salvation as a blazing torch. Nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name, which Adonai's mouth will bestow. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of Adonai and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will you be termed forsaken, no longer your land termed desolate. Instead, you will be called my delight is in her and your land married. For Adonai delights in you and your land will be married. As we have discussed for the past uh, few weeks, the seven messages of consolation are read between Tisha B'Av and Rosh Hashanah. The reason for this is because on Tisha B'Av, our Jewish people mourn the destruction of the temple and the captivity of our people in foreign lands that coincided with these events. But we recognize that the causality of our finding ourselves in the diaspora is because of our own sins, because we chose to walk away from our relationship with Adonai. Our own sins, our own choices caused the destruction and the raising of Jerusalem. Our rejection of the Torah caused our finding ourselves in Babylonian and later Roman displacement from the land. And our sins caused a chasm of separation between Israel and her God. But as we see in our Torah Parsha and again throughout our Haftorah, there is always a call of return. A means of repentance that allows us to come back to our Heavenly Father in restored relationship. That is what our Haftorah is all about, restoration of relationship with our Heavenly Father. We've looked at the overarching narrative of Isaiah 40 through where we are now and have watched as God has promised over and over again to bring Israel back, to provide re restoration and salvation. We've seen the discussion of the suffering servant who would lay his own life down in payment for Israel's many sins and provide atonement and forgiveness for our sins to be washed white as snow. We recognize the suffering servant to be Messiah Yeshua. And here in Isaiah 62, we see the powerful language of the culmination of this restoration. In verse 1, the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah that he will not rest until Israel's righteousness shines out brightly and her salvation is a blazing torch. 
despite what we have always heard in the body of Messiah, I think uh, Isaiah makes it abundantly clear that God is not, nor will he ever be done with his people Israel. Here in the book of Isaiah, in the midst of the prophecies of destruction and despair that Israel will experience because of our sins, we find the Lord speaking words of comfort and compassion about Israel as well. The same people who have turned our backs on him over and over and over again. He is promising to restore and renew, to redeem and to love. Isaiah 62 is all about that redemption and that restoration. The Lord promises that the light of salvation will shine so brightly within us that the nations will see his glory, or more specifically, his glory within us. He will place the light of his salvation in us. It will burn brightly and powerfully, and it will not be contained or put out. Here's the deal, though. Israel chose to walk away from the Lord. Remember, one of the key remarks in our Torah Parsha this week is Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Verses 19 and 20 says, I call the heavens and the earth to witness about you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live by loving Adonai your God, listening to his voice and clinging to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell on the land that Adonai swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Our forefathers never really took these words to heart. They sound nice and wonderful. They're super inspiring. I can almost imagine a football coach declaring similar words as a battle cry to an underdog team who's down in, uh, on the scoreboard at halftime as they collect themselves for the second half. And I think a lot of the time, this is kind of how we tend to read these words. We view them as a distant and removed. Uh, we view them as in, in the vacuum of time and space. We view them as being empowering but, but unattainable or perhaps undesirable to attain because to live, to, the, to live up to these words has implications of a necessary heart and life change. But the thing is, a heart and life change is exactly what is needed and exactly what God is getting at when he promised to circumcise the flesh of our hearts. This is something unattainable on our own accord, as is clear by the fact that Israel indeed found themselves broken and downtrodden by foreigners. The temple and Jerusalem left in shambles, and our people hauled off in captivity because of our sins. But despite the inevitability, the Lord continued to promise salvation. Not just salvation from our physical troubles of being in captivity to other nations, but eternal, uh, eternal salvation from captivity to the enemy. Verse 1 of uh, Isaiah 62 again says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness shines out brightly and her salvation as a blazing torch. Nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name which Adonai, uh, Adonai's mouth will bestow. This is a promise of eternal salvation. This is a promise of redemption and forgiveness for all of our mistakes. This is a promise of renewal. This is a promise that we recognize is fulfilled in Messiah Yeshua in his sacrifice for our sins, despite our repeatedly walking away from him and chasing after the ways of the world around us. Despite our sins and mistakes, despite our continual rejection of his love and relationship, he still loves us. He still cherishes us. 
and he still wants to restore us. And Messiah, he has changed our names from forsaken and desolate to my delight and my love. Let us walk in the power of our new names. Let us shine brightly the light of our salvation. And here's the kicker. We have been given a new name in hope and salvation because of Messiah Yeshua. And that new name goes deeper than a matter of a changed moniker. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, We have been made children of God, whereas once we were separated from Him, we have now been made children of God through the blood of Messiah. 1 John 1, see, uh, 1 John 3, verse 1. See I, uh, how glorious a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And so we are. The reason the word does not know us, the world does not know us, is that it did not know him. Loved ones, now we are God's children, and, and it has not yet been revealed what we will be, but we do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself and just as he is pure. Isaiah 62, verse 10. Go through, uh, go through, go through the gates. Clear the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Lift a banner over the people. Behold, Adonai has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Then they will call them, then they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of Adonai, and you will be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Once the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was raised, and the majority of the Jewish people were carted off in captivity, there was little hope of seeing the promised land again. There was little hope of being in the city that God had placed his name on. As a matter of fact, in all reality, the Jewish people just, in general, had little hope. We were broken and distraught. The same is the case with the destruction of the second temple by the Romans. What's worse is that we did it to ourselves. If it weren't for our sin, our rejection of faithfulness to the Torah, our rejection of covenant relationship with Adonai, we would not have experienced either of these destructions. But also, we found ourselves becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. All of the curses of Deuteronomy became a reality for us. We turned our back on God, and he gave us opportunity after opportunity to return and be restored. Kind of reminds me, when reading the blessings and curses and reading the book of Isaiah, kind of reminds me of dealing with my kids at times. God love them. I love them. Sometimes they're not quite so awesome, but for the most part, they're awesome, except when we ask them to clean their rooms. Never awesome when we ask them to clean their rooms. And what's really weird is uh, I can, as, as a father dealing with my kids, I can, at least in some minuscule means, I can kind of put myself in our Heavenly Father's shoes and what He puts up with and deals with us on a regular basis in. And so I think about how I'll tell my kids, hey, I need you to clean your rooms. They've got to be done in X amount of hours, right? It, you know, it's always a bigger mess than it should be. But, you know, I need it cleaned in the next four hours. And then they get to work and they're diligently going in and attacking the task at hand and, you know, inevitably 
an hour or so later, uh, I hear them playing or bickering or whatever instead of cleaning the room. And I'll go in the hallway and I'll look down and I'll see that neither of them are actually in the rooms and neither of them are actually doing anything of benefit or value to cleaning the rooms. And honestly, more than likely, they're making a bigger mess rather than cleaning it up. And so I'll go down and I will remind them of the necessity for that job to get done. I will remind them of the time frame that has been placed before them. And then generally speaking, every once in a while they'll surprise us, but generally speaking, that time frame of X hours, however many it was, will run out. And we'll go in and talk to them and say, hey, we told you four hours. You need to have your room clean in four hours. It's been four hours. Your room isn't clean. Here's what the punishment, and then all of a sudden they want to cry out for mercy and for grace and for forgiveness. I promise to give me a little more time and I'll, I'll do it right. I'll take care of it. Just give me a little more time and, and we'll be merciful and gracious and loving because that's what parents do and we'll give them, I'll give you another hour. You get it done in another hour and you won't be in trouble. Just, just get to work. Hour goes by and you can come in and see they've been working but it's not quite done. And so you come in and threaten punishment again. But, but just mercy, give us mercy, give us, give us mercy, give us grace, give us just a little bit longer. Okay, I'll give you a half hour. It's not a lot here, just get it done, a half hour. Should be plenty of time. A half hour goes by, it's still not done. And inevitably, we end up having to deal with the consequence that was placed before them. Not because we want to punish them, but because they chose not to get the job done in time. And, and what's even more interesting is, Despite the consequences awaiting them, despite the reality of what's, what's going to happen, what is always amazing is the times when the rooms actually get cleaned the best, the times when they get the most involved and actually put the effort into doing it, are the times when we kind of take on the role of Messiah. And by we, I generally mean Danielle, because I'm usually not home when this is all playing out at this point, but Danielle will be uh, she'll go in the room and she'll help them clean. She'll direct what needs to be done and she'll make sure it gets done properly in the way that she would like it to be the way it should be. And she will be merciful and gracious and clean up and take care of the job for them and, and help them. She doesn't do all the work herself, although there are times where she's just fed up with them being annoying and she'll just go in and take care of it all because she can do it quicker than she can argue with them. And, uh, but generally speaking, she goes in and motivates them and, and it reminded me of the reality of how we refuse to live right. We refuse to walk in faithfulness to the Lord. And what is it that the Lord did? Did he just come down and backhand the mess out of us? Did he come down and, and kick us around a little while? No. No, instead, he gave of himself so that we could be redeemed. Throughout the biblical history of Israel, we see the exact same scenario play out. As a matter of fact, reading the blessings and curses, this is exactly how God lays it out. If you sin, I will do A, B, and C to you. If then you still do not make Teshuvah, then I will do D, E, and F to you. If that still doesn't work, then G, H, and I. And because God is more merciful and loving than we could ever imagine, he generally goes through the entire alphabet trying to get us to correct our ways and return to him faithfully. Then and, once, and only once all corrective uh, avenues have been depleted, will he really crack the whip, so to speak. But if we pay attention to this final third of Isaiah, it is abundantly clear that we have a loving heavenly father who desires nothing but the best for us. Even in the midst of warning of coming destruction and despair, he takes the time to remind us that he loves us. 
that he cherishes us, that all he wants is for us to return to him in faithfulness. And when we do, he will bless us above and beyond our imagination, and he will restore us and renew us. Even more so, he even tells us he will provide the means of redemption and restoration in sending his son to die for our sins, to take the, on the punishment that, be, be, that belongs rightly to us so that we can be restored and renewed, so that he can draw us into his loving embrace, so that he can rename us as his holy people and as redeemed of Adonai. He becomes like Danielle going into the room and helping them get the job done so that they don't continue to face the, uh, the, the, the inevitability, the consequence and punishment of their mistakes. He took that upon himself. He came down and literally cleaned up the mess for us. All we have to do is believe in him. And once we've experienced his salvation, once we are renamed as his holy people and as the redeemed of Adonai, what are we to do then? What is the call placed upon the hearts of the redeemed? Isaiah 62, 10 and 11 again says, Go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, lift up a banner over the people. Behold, Adonai has proclaimed to the ends of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. We are to get off our butts and proclaim that salvation has come. We are to proclaim from the hilltops and the mountains, at work and at home, at school and in the marketplace. We are to proclaim salvation in Yeshua in every aspect of our lives and every waking moment that we breathe the breath of life. We are to proclaim the message that Yeshua revealed to Nicodemus in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall have, shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We are not to proclaim a fire and brimstone gospel. That's been attempted, and, and it scared a bunch of people, but I, I don't know that it actually ever created transformed hearts and lives. We are, however, to proclaim the truth of the mercy of a heavenly father that loves us so much that much like with my own children and cleaning their rooms gave us opportunity after opportunity to correct course and then like Danielle going in to help the kids clean God sent his only son to provide the means of restoration for us let that sink in what does Yeshua say to Nicodemus God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. And we are called to proclaim this with everything that is within us. And we've been filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to do so. To carry the message of salvation in Yeshua HaMashiach to every square inch of this monstrous globe, to both Jew and non-Jew alike. In fact, we've been given a mandate by Yeshua to do just that. Matthew 28, 16 begins, Now the eleven disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain Yeshua had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some wavered. And Yeshua came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And remember, 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As I prepare to close, I want to invite our worship team to make their way back up to the Bema, please. I think as, as modern believers, we, we have a tendency, whether it's intentional or unintentional, really doesn't matter. But we have a tendency to take the magnitude of what God has done for us in salvation for granted. We get comfortable. We get complacent. We get lazy, and often one of two things happens. One, we begin the cycle of lethargy, of faith in our walk, and falling into sin, and thus cycling through consequences, being drawn back to repentance. Or, two, we find ourselves forgetting or flat-out ignoring our divine mandate to, be, to, to shine the light of Messiah, to share the good news with the world around us. Next Shabbat is Rosh Hashanah. It is the beginning of the Yamim Noraim, the days of awe and the fall Moedim. It is the beginning of the Hebrew civil year where the year number changes from 5780 to 5781. As such, it is an opportunity for us to reevaluate where we are in our walks with the Lord, where we are in our covenant relationship. This is one of the primary reasons that the seven messages of consolation out of Isaiah are read between Tisha B'Av and Rosh Hashanah. It's a reminder of the grace and mercy of a heavenly father who desires nothing more than to pour out his love upon us. Like with my children, unfortunately, there are times where it is necessary for me to punish them. But immediately following that, I go out of my way to completely embellish them in love and remind them, although I was disappointed in their actions, I still and always will love them. This is the reminder the Lord is giving us in this season. And listen, Messiah's return is imminent. Our time is limited. And as the bearers of the light of Messiah, bearers of the good news, we must dig deeper into the presence of God. We must be fully devoted followers of Yeshua. We must be fully in, fully in submission to the Ruach HaKodesh so that we can live fully in the redemption and restoration that has been provided for us so that the world around us will want what we have. This world we find ourselves in today is a train wreck, and the only solution is the blood of Messiah. As we said a few weeks ago, Messiah became the bearer of our sins so that we could become the bearers of his good news. Let us take this opportunity provided in, the holy, in this holy season to reevaluate our walks and our efficacy for the kingdom of Messiah. Avrachimim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for being a gracious and loving God, for being a God who uh, doesn't just uh, uh, beat us down and tear us apart because of our mistakes, but for being a God who loves us and cherishes us, who draws us back in repentance over and over and over again. Father, we thank you for being a God who, no matter how bad we mess up, you never write us off. Father, I thank you that you have provided a means for salvation, for redemption, for restoration. And I thank you that you have given us a mandate from Yeshua to be that light in the world around us. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us and uplift us moving forward, that you will empower us with a fresh outpouring, a fresh renewal of your Ruach HaKodesh, of your Holy Spirit, that we will have a burning desire and passion to shine the light of Messiah no matter where we are, no matter who we are with. 
and that we will no longer be uh, timid and afraid, but be bold and bolstering of the truth of your good news, of your besora. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen.